that was what we're doing at the moment. And uh, right, so we're t spending a second week talking about the Apostle Paul in lockdown. Uh, last week uh, we looked at this a little bit. And we talked about what did we talk about last week. We talked about spreading encouragement and the significance of prayer even during lockdown. Paul's there in prison, as we see in that scripture just read for us by Sarah. He's in a lockdown situation under sort of house arrest in, in that house. And so I hope today that like last week, we'll be able to take some lessons from Paul's life in lockdown that will be appropriate and, and helpful for us in our own current personal situation. So that's the idea. Now, before I go on, let me ask us, what do we already know about Paul's situation? Can we do a little bit of revision perhaps from last week or anything you remember? He's under house arrest. Stephen, yeah. He does a lot of writing he did a lot of writing. He did, yes. He was busy with his scrolls and his parchments. Thank you, Simon. That's quite right. Anything else? Being restricted, he didn't let that uh, uh, be restricted. So being physically restricted, his mind wasn't restricted. He didn't let that restrict his mind. Right. That's actually a very good point. His mind was not chained, so to speak. Penny uh, used his letters to encourage and help others. He did. Uh, Mulligan, he was guarded. Yes, that, that, that's a really good little insight. There was, remember, there was a guard uh, assigned to him. It's not in the verses we just read, but it's earlier in, um, in the chapter. Verse 16, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he had a soldier with him the whole time. That's some close um, supervision right there. Thanks, Mulligan. He had numerous people calling on him. Thanks, Bill. And we're going to talk about that today, in fact, a bit more. So that's really, that's right on the money. How long was his lockdown? Two years. And Etta and the maker says, yes. I know it feels like we've been under lockdown for decades already. But uh, for him, it was two years and it was in that one house. So uh, severe lockdown, you could say. But he spends his time encouraging, spreading encouragement. He spends his time praying. We talked a lot about that last week, and we will talk about that a bit more this week. This week, our title of the lesson is Paul's Prison Hospitality. Paul's Prison Hospitality. You may find it hard to believe, but even though he was under house arrest, he was tremendously hospitable. And we learn a lot about hospitality. And I think this is one of those counterintuitive things that at a time of lockdown, one of the things that would be helpful for us to think about is hospitality. Even though we're restricted, what does it mean to be hospitable? So we're going to talk about that today. And as we get into this, um, I'd like to ask you what you think of when, when the word hospitality comes up, what does that mean to you? Gosh, he was under state surveillance. Yeah, that's really good. Leon or Sarah, whichever one of you. I think that's a Leon kind of comment. Yeah, it was. Okay, I'm right. Yes. Uh, okay, to be, to be hospitable is to be welcoming, Anetta. That's great. Yes, indeed. Sharing. Yeah, thank you. Being serving, for sure. Good. What else? Eating together. Mm, yes, eating together. Sharing a table together. What else? Taking an interest in the other persons. Mm. Opening your house to all who may call, Bill. Thank you. Sarah, making cakes. Yes, Sarah, absolutely. 
Well, that's me saying to Sarah making cakes. Sarah making cakes. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically, Sarah. To be accommodating, to make a cup of tea, something as simple as that. Yeah. Awareness of others, Dawn, thank you. Feeding friends, says Barry or Kate, thank you. Chantil, to make a personal people feel welcomed and comfortable. Comfortable, that's a that's wonderful, isn't it? You've probably been in somebody's house where you don't feel comfortable in some way where you do. It's a lovely feeling when you feel comfortable in somebody else's place or in somebody else's uh, company. Thinking of others, spending time with others, being generous, as Jane, and inviting to lots, lots of different people, including strangers. And that's a really good insight, Jane. We will be talking about strangers in a minute. To be welcoming, Barry, Kate, thank you. To be to put others above yourself, Dawn. Mm, yeah. Makinson's, when people feel so comfortable, they know where they keep, you keep your tea. <laughs> yes, well, I think I know where you keep that decaf coffee jar from when I come round, or when I used to come round in those days. Yeah. yeah. To giving the pizza man a tip. Yeah, I like that, Simon or Patricia. Thank you. Uh, I didn't know this, but I just cheated and quickly looked it up. I'll go on, Steph, and give us the ultimate definition. <laughs> the Greek in the Bible is uh, philoxenia, philo, philoxenia, philo like in brotherly love, and xenia like in xenophobia, um, xeno foreigners or strangers, strangers, the love of strangers. This is the literal definition, the literal word for hospitality to show love or brotherly love or friendship to strangers. Excellent. It's a stretch beyond uh, having my friends over for dinner. <laughs> it is a stretch more. So here's the interesting, that's a really helpful thing you say there, Stefan. So let me um, add to that, which is that in the New Testament, the word translated hospitality, that's one of them. There are some other words also translated hospitality, which are slightly different. And so to give you the composite of all of the definitions put together of all the Greek words, there are... I think three or four, which I haven't got written down here, but you can look them up. So one is kindness to strangers. Another is to entertain someone as a stranger. Another is to entertain a guest more broadly. Another is to entertain. Another is to lodge with. So in other words, having someone stay. And another, which is more of a an attitude, which I think Dawn may have alluded to, is, mm. is to place yourself under another. That's the literal translation of one of the words translated hospitality only used one time in the New Testament to place yourself under another. And that's the attitude of a servant. I'm here to to make your life comfortable, pleasant um, to, and to serve you in some way or other. So all of those ideas are contained when we talk about hospitality. So let's think about that as we approach the relevance of hospitality to our situation that we currently find ourselves in. So firstly, we're going to talk about hospitality to strangers, and then we're going to talk about hospitality to effectively our friends. So first, hospitality to strangers. So what we see in back in Acts chapter 28 is that Paul has people in his home. Um, it says in verse 17, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and when they had assembled, he says to them, and he gives him a little bit of a speech. And the uh, uh, they reply in verse 21, we've not received any letters about you, good or bad, but we want to hear what your views are, verse 22. And in verse 23, 
they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So they came to his place. And these are strangers to him. They are fellow Jewish leaders, but they're not people who know him. They haven't heard anything good or bad about him. They don't really know him. And some of them are convinced by what he said in verse 24. Others wouldn't believe. They disagreed among themselves, began to leave after Paul made his final statement about the Holy Spirit, which he details in the next few verses we won't look at now. So what we see here is that Paul invites people to his home, has some conversations, even more people come back the next time. He has the opportunity to share the gospel. Some are convinced, some are not. But they're in his home, hearing from him. He is engaging with them in his home. He gets them to think by being with him. That's something that happens when people come into, some people who are not Christians come into the home of people who have Christian faith. Hopefully it gets them thinking about the deeper issues of life, like it did with these Jewish leaders. When we think about it, this is very much like the way God operates all through Scripture. He's always being a host. Right away from Genesis chapters 2 and 3, where God, in a sense, hosts Adam and Eve and is so kind to them and provides everything so generously, uh, food and the beauty of Eden. God is God is a host. God is seen as a host in the Old Testament in the Psalms, like Psalm 23, where he uh, there's a table. He sets a table before me in, in place of, uh, before my enemies, and it says, "My cup overflows." This is the nature of God with us that He He wishes to be a host to us. And then we think about Jesus. Jesus is a host. He's a host for four thousand people. He's a host for five thousand people, and he's a host for his disciples. Uh, the Last Supper in John 13, which we're going to look at at the end, just before we take communion. This is the nature of uh, our Heavenly Father and of Jesus. So who should we be hosting? This is uh, another passage we'll look at now is Luke 14. In Luke 14, Jesus gives some ideas or gives us some input about who we might be hosting, the kinds of people we might want to host. So in, in Luke 14... And verse 12, Jesus said to his host, so he's with someone who's hosting him. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, that's a proper bit of hosting right there, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So these are the kinds of people Jesus has in mind, not exclusively that these are the people we should host, but these are the kinds of people we want to think about hosting. Those who cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So it's not, let's invite some people who might invite us back. That's fine. We can do that. But we go beyond that. People of the Christian faith go beyond that. We invite those who cannot repay you. It ties together with uh, Hebrews 13 verse 2, one of the famous passages about hospitality, where it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. 
Interesting. So let me ask you to stop for a moment. Let's have a little bit of discussion here. There's some kinds of hospitality that are restricted for us right now. That's true. But what kind of hospitality could we offer to strangers? Let's stretch our thinking and our minds a little bit here. What could we do to be hospitable in this spiritual sense, this scriptural sense, this this a loving sense? What could we do to be hospitable to people who are strangers to us, perhaps those who cannot repay you? Food, the food bank. You know, we have um, a Christian, uh, um, what do they call it, a vineyard, you know, or, or, or the Tesco's, you know, uh, points. To food banks. Food. Yeah, Simon. Thank you. Yeah, Barry said the same thing there, uh, giving to the food bank, giving to the poor. Absolutely. Dawn's taking banana cake into work. Food really helps anxiety. Uh, I, I don't know the verse for that, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, providing food for the needy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think... Um personally speaking, that the pandemic and lockdown has provided some opportunities for us to obviously be hospitable in different ways. But looking, you know, looking out for those that do have a need at this time. And, and obviously being a family of six, we find it very difficult to have people here. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't go there or we can't go shopping for people in isolation or provide meals for people um, when they're going through challenging times. Um, and just uh, perhaps doing the, the kind of the inverse hospitality, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, hospitality can be bringing people to us, but it can be, in a sense, bringing our love to them, right? Absolutely. Um, providing people with money to buy data. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, Tunde. Anetta, I choose sometimes to delay my travel to stop and talk to someone who truly needs some attention. Okay, so just that attention. Attention is a very pure form of love, you could say. I've had offering to collect medications or doing shopping for a neighbor. Yeah, that's an act of love. And in a sense, it is hospitality. We're providing something that they really need. Good, thank you. Jane, identifying via social media groups, the vulnerable in your area, making some kind of contact, chatting, shopping, information. Yeah, there are various local Facebook groups or an organization like Nextdoor where you can connect with people. Okay. Calling people up to check on them, especially those in difficult home situations, and some certainly are. Penny, inviting people on walks. Well, that's right. I mean, your walk with Jane yesterday, in a sense, was Penny offering hospitality, right? Jane came to our house, didn't come in, but, you know, met Penny in the, what, by the gate, I think, and off you went for a walk in the area. That's a, a, a hospitality. And Jane borrowing my binoculars. I suppose I was being hospitable there, was I? that count? I don't know. But uh, anyway, random acts of kindness, Simon. Oh, Patricia, rather. Yes, yes. That was Jane's invite to you. Okay. All right, we'll take we'll take it either way then. Fine. <laughs> Not just walking bird watching, indeed. Yes, I gather you saw a tree creeper, right? Things come up, ideas come up as we begin to talk and think about being creative. 
I think one of the things about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is creative. I mean, it is through and by the Spirit that God created all things according to Genesis 1. And the Spirit is God's breath and God's power in us, working through us, doing all kinds of amazing things. So as we pray for insight, I believe the Spirit will give us insight as to how we can show hospitality, meaningful hospitality to strangers. And perhaps that's one of the things for us to pray about this week is asking God to make us aware of our opportunities to offer hospitality to people who are strangers or at least perhaps not close friends. We might know them, but maybe we're not close to them. And asking God to show us, asking God to help us to notice, asking God to help us to be creative in the way that we can be hospitable uh, to the strangers around us. Okay, so that's hospitality to strangers. How about if we talk now for a minute about hospitality to friends hospitality to friends people we know a bit better whether they're perhaps members of the congregation or certainly people we know well at one time or another during his two-year lockdown paul had many companions living with him does anybody know the names of some that were with him here in rome at least at one point in those in those two years timothy is getting a lot of love here yes correct timothy is one of them Onesimus is another, yes, thank you. Any other, uh, you can guess if you like, if you're not sure of, any other ideas, any thoughts? Silas, we don't know, maybe, we're not sure, possibly. He was with Paul in prison in, in Philippi, not sure if he was with him in Rome. Tychicus, yes, that's right. Barnabas, maybe, not sure. Not sure, he was in trouble with Paul in other places, we're not sure if he was there in, uh, in Rome. Again, any others? There are a few. I'll give you the full list in a minute. Let me find it. Oh, there it is. There we go. Any others? Titus? Not sure. Maybe. Not sure about Titus. Although, again, Titus was in, was in some hairy situations with, uh, with Paul at different times. All right, let me give you the full list, at least that we're sure of. We're sure that Timothy was with him at some point. Epaphras? Onesimus, Tychicus, Marcus called John Mark, Demas, Luke, Jesus called Justus, and Epaphroditus. That's quite a few, isn't it? Let me give you a few thoughts about each of those. Not so much that this is a lesson about all these different people and their names, but more just to give you a flavor for what's going on with Paul being hospitable with people with him uh, there in Rome. So Timothy, uh, Timothy was with him and he sent him to Philippi. So he's with him for some of the time, sends him to Philippi in Philippians 2 verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And we believe that he did do that. But he was a prisoner. Uh, Philemon uh, 1 verse 1, um, he writes and says, Timothy's with me in prison. And again in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, he mentions Timothy being with him. Epaphras, but Epaphras is the one who's always wrestling in prayer, it says in Colossians 4 verse 12. is wrestling for the Colossians in prayer. Interestingly, it seems like Paul established what you might call a prayer ministry uh, in his home right there for those two years. And Epaphras was there with him, praying. For, he talks about prayer quite a lot. That's what he's doing there. He's his fellow prisoner, according to Philemon uh, verse 23. And he's praying for the Colossians in particular because Epaphras is the one who started the church in Colossae, according to Colossians chapter 1 verse 7. And then we've got Onesimus. What do we know about Onesimus, by the way? Anybody got any thoughts, any memories and thoughts about Onesimus? What do we know about Onesimus? 
Is he the slave that was sent back to Philemon? Right, exactly. He ran away from his master, Ogre. That's correct. He was a runaway slave. Yes, John and Lynn, that's right. What happened to him in, in Rome? I mean, he was there with Paul, but what happened to him? He was converted, says Carl. That's correct. He was converted by Paul. Paul says to, when he write back, writes back to Philemon, a Christian who's the original slave owner of Onesimus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So he becomes a Christian there, and he goes to visit the church in Colossae, and he goes back to Philemon, we, we think. Tychicus was with Paul in prison, and he says to the Ephesians, he will tell you everything about me. So he's going to send him off to Ephesus, Ephesians 6.21. And he's also sending him on that trip to Colossae as well, because he talks about that in Colossians 4.7. He will tell you all the news about me. Uh, so he's sent on. Marcus, called John Mark, who comes up many times in the book of Acts, uh, he is there with him in prison, according to Colossians 4, verse 10. And if he comes to you, welcome him. So we think he sent him off to Colossae. Aristarchus, we don't know much about him, but he was there in prison with uh, with Paul. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. That's right into the Colossians, chapter 4, verse 10. Demas was also there with Paul in prison, uh, Colossians 4, 14. Uh, the only other thing we know about Demas is that um, he fell away, uh, to use the uh, the phrase there. In 2 Timothy 4, he abandoned the faith at some point, sadly. So it doesn't mean, you know, just being with Paul doesn't mean you make it in the end necessarily. Luke is with Paul in prison. Again, Colossians 4, 14, our dear friend Luke the doctor. He's there with him. Uh, Jesus called Justice is also with Paul in prison. Colossians 4, verse 11, he's called a fellow worker or a co-worker or fellow worker with, with Paul. And Epaphroditus is also there uh, in Philippians 2, verse 25. He says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. So he's been there. He's a brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, also your messenger. So the Philippians sent him to Paul. He's been with Paul and he's brought a gift for Paul. Philippians 4.18, I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And so he's going to send him back. So the point about just referencing all of these people is that Paul had a profound effect on these people. They came to him. Some of them were with him, perhaps on his journey to Rome. Some of them came to visit him. Some were sent to him, but like by from the Philippians, to help him. But they came and they served, and most of them at least went out again to Ephesus, to Colossae, to the Philippi, back to Philemon. To, to, they were enthused, it seems, by being with Paul. He developed, or held on to, or, or grew in his faith and his ability to inspire these people to go on and do great things for the cause of the kingdom. And I love this about Paul, that he's he seems to have that catalytic effect on the people that come to his home as he offers them some kind of hospitality, him and his prison guard and whoever else he's with. So their time with Paul prepared them to, for God to do his work through them. And he had a perspective, at least it's implied, that meant that he was able to help them to be useful in other places. And I wonder whether there's some ways in which there are some ways in which our time of lockdown, there, there are ways in which we can use our hospitality and our, our connections with people of faith. Let's talk about the people of the Christian faith to not only be encouraged and helped, but to encourage and inspire others. So let's have a little bit of discussion for a couple of minutes here about what are some of the ways, what might be some of the ways that our time in our 
challenging circumstances, our lockdown type situations, can be still ways in which we can inspire other people of Christian faith. Carl's saying, good time to connect with old friends across the world. It is, isn't it, actually? And especially with you, Carl, today, joining with different family groups that meet up via Zoom. So being able to connect with other people. That's a really great point. Uh, Jane, be an example regarding the fruits of the Spirit. Right, if we live out the fruits of the Spirit, that will help. Of course, it will inspire and encourage other people. Thank you. Yes. Maybe review the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit and its different ways of manifesting itself in us. Pray through those that list in Galatians, for example. And uh, that might be good. Okay. It seems like what learning from what Paul did, he prayed prayed with and prayed for people. And I know certainly as a recipient for myself, I feel encouraged when I know I have needs and other people tell me that I've been praying for that need. Yeah. Um, I find that very encouraging, kind of like in, I'm not alone in my carrying my burden on my own. Um, and uh, I also find it encouraging. Paul often writes and he says, I thank God in my prayers for you. Yeah. I find that very encouraging as well. I've, sometimes people tell me that, oh, I thank God for you. It's like in, not just oh, praying for my needs, for my burden. Sometimes things are just going swimmingly well and there are no burdens or needs. And but Paul had the attitude is like, well, I'll still pray for you. <laughs> I'll just say thank you for you. Um, yeah. I find that encouraging as well. It's uh, sometimes just knowing that, yeah, as a recipient, uh, which, which kind of stimulates me to think I can do the same for others to encourage them spiritually and let them know that I'm praying for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, let them know. And, and it must have been so encouraging for the church to hear that Epaphras was, was Epaphras was wrestling in prayer, wasn't it? Yes, you know, and for that church to know must have been so helpful. Good. Any other thoughts? Bill's got something in the chat. Uh, Bill says if we are not in lockdown. Uh, oh, I'm not sure what that's about. Barry says reading scriptures and sharing with one another, making connection through vulnerability. Hmm. Donna Lynn says, put a prayer in an email or text. I love that. Mm. Yeah. 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 Aneta, um, I sense that moments that some people may need a challenge addressed. Using surely a kind way to do it. I, we, talked, um, we talked a little bit about this kind of idea last week with prayer in particular. And I just like to encourage them us all to be thinking about what are the ways in which God might be able to use us to inspire the faith of others. It's not not to say that, you know, we're trying to we're trying to show like we're some kind of super spiritual people, but more that how can we serve other people? Because that's what hospitality is. How can we serve other people by helping them, inspiring them in some way or other? And there are a lot of good suggestions here. And I think probably more will come up as we think and pray about this a little bit more. So let's go to John 13 which if we had more time, I would love to share more about because I think it's the one of the most, it is the most remarkable example of hospitality in all the scriptures, in my opinion. Uh, John 13, where Jesus, without reading all of it here, but Jesus hosts the disciples at this special meal. Uh, the evening meal's in progress, which he has arranged, of course, because he arranged for the room and everything, all the details. And he 
What does he do at the meal? He gets up and takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel, and washes his disciples' feet. But this is Jesus as the host who is under all of his, um, his guests. He is the one serving everybody. He does that by washing their feet, and then he tells them that this is why I'm giving you this bread and this wine, because it represents my body and my blood, which I'm giving for you. Somebody early on, we were discussing the definition of hospitality, mentioned it's giving. It is giving. And the ultimate hospitality is to give, give our own lives. And so hospitality is beautiful and it's costly. And so as we take the bread and wine now, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did on, not just at the Last Supper, but what he did on the cross. Because as Jesus, as Jesus died on the cross, he, he invites, he invites us to be together with him as, as our host, to walk through life together with him and to go ultimately to be together with him in the next life. And what a wonderful invitation that is. Jesus is our ultimate host. So as we take bread and wine, let's remember what he was willing to pay, what he was willing to offer so that we could enjoy his hospitality. Let's pray together.